by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ, I, who am humble when face to face with you, uh, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg you, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not show boldness with such confidence as I count, as I, um, as I count on showing against some who suspect of us walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The first point that I want to make as we get into the Word of God is I want you, saints, and I want you people in this room to be aware and to know that we are in a fight. Paul is addressing the accusation of some of the Corinthian church members who are accusing him of all sorts of things. From chapters 10 to 13, we see Paul giving a defense for his apostleship and for his ministry. There were some who were false apostles, or he referred to them as super apostles. They elevated themselves, they loved the titles, they loved position, they manipulated people to take money from them. They were not interested in people's lives, so to speak, but they were interested in the people that would follow them and what they can get from them. So these false apostles or teachers that were in the Corinthian church were going around and accusing Paul of many things. One of the accusations made against him is that Paul is only bold in his letters. He's a keyboard warrior in our modern day language, but when we see him face to face, he's not really that impressive. Matter of fact, he's more like a coward. That was one of the accusations that was made against Paul by these false apostles. Because when Paul would write heavy, weighty matters, as he referred to it further down the text, when he challenged them with their lifestyle and their sinful living that the Corinthian church embraced, he said he was very tough. They said he was very tough in his letters, but when he came and visited us in person, he wasn't really that impressive. Now, I don't know what led them to that conclusion. Some say perhaps because Paul had a certain disability. Uh, We know this because he talks about this thorn in his flesh, and in one of his letters, he talks about how the people that he was writing that letter to, even if they could, they would pull out their eye and give it to him, which some suggest refers to him having some kind of eye uh, uh, disability. But regardless of what led them to that conclusion, this was the rumor that they were spreading among the Corinthian Christians. And some of the Corinthian church believers believed their report, and not only the report that they made against Paul, but they believed the teachings that they taught and they began to receive foreign teaching, foreign gospel. And we see this in chapter 11. And Paul begins this section that we just read by saying, do not mistake my gentleness and humility toward you for weakness. Paul reminds them that he is quite capable of bold and fearless confrontation. And we've seen Paul do this many times Matter of fact, he confronted the Apostle Peter. Apostle Peter was one of the respected uh, leaders of of the time of of the apostles because he walked with Jesus. And Jesus, matter of fact, said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And but when he saw Peter acting not in line with what God and his truth says, he confronted him and he challenged him. So Paul is telling them, I don't have a problem, Corinthian Christians, in confronting you, but when I came to you, I came with uh, humble humility and with gentleness, but do not mistake that for cowardice. And in verse 3, he goes on to mention an important truth that I want to focus on in today's teaching. Paul tells them plainly that he walks in the flesh in the sense that we all do. He wants to remind them that. Hey, Corinthian believers, first thing I want you to know is I also walk in the flesh like you walk in the flesh. He is flesh and blood and human being like the Corinthian Christians. This is important. This is very important for us to understand. Because Paul was telling them that he faces the same challenges 
and the same struggles that they face. Him being an apostle or a minister of the gospel did not make him immune to the life, to the challenges that life brings upon, upon all human beings. And we often elevate ministers to a godlike status, don't we? We often admire and we really look up to and we uh, look for the uh, life of people who are ministers or people who are leaders and we elevate them to a godlike status that they never had. And Paul is reminding the Corinthian believers here, yes, I, Paul, who have written the majority of the New Testament, yes, I am human being just like you are. I face the same opposition that you face. I face the same temptation that you face. I am flesh and blood like you are. You know, when we do that to individuals, to human beings, we get heartbroken and discouraged when the ones we looked up to disappoint us or worse, fail us. But the truth is that we are all human with weaknesses and the ability to sin and to fail. You know, Jesus alone was the one that worked, walked on this earth but remained sinless and never failed. I want to take you quickly to Acts chapter 14 where Paul is in a town called Lystra with Barnabas. They're on an evangelism ministry trip. And while they're there, they encounter this man that was born crippled. He was born lame. He was not able to, work, to walk from birth. And, and the Bible says that when Paul saw the man and he saw that he had faith to be healed, he instructed him, arise and walk. And the man got up, jumped up and began to walk. So the people of Lystra, they're there. They've never heard the gospel. They never heard about Jesus. They just witnessed the miracle before their eye. One of, one of their fellow um, uh, people, people uh, that they are familiar with just got healed. And they are thinking, these people are not human beings. Remember, the culture then is highly dominant on the Greek culture. So they believed in, in, um, in the Greek gods that we even know about today, like Zeus and, uh, and all of those gods that they worshipped. That was the understanding that permeated the society then. Let me quickly take you to Acts chapter 14, verse 11, and then we'll read verse 15. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Straight away, they connected that this supernatural event had to be because these people are not human beings, they're gods. Verse 15, this is what Paul went on to say. He ripped his clothing in utter disgust and shame, and he said these things. He said, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news and telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So they pointed these Lyconian people who had no understanding, no concept of God. They believed in gods and they said to them, this is not our ability that produced this man's strength to get up and walk, but it was the ability and the power of the almighty God. It was the ability and the power of the God who created the heavens and the earth. And if God can produce life out of nothing, he can produce these legs to walk. So they introduced, it was an opportunity for them to preach the gospel and they began to share about the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, friends, we need to understand something here. That God is God alone. There is no one that is in competition with him. There is only one God that created the heavens and the earth. I remember once I was in Footscray, and I think I've shared this story uh, bef uh, before with you, but I was in Footscray telling people about the goodness of God, the love of Jesus, and I, and I came across a, a, a pleasant young man. He was about 25 years of age, and I said to him, hey, do you have a moment I want to share with you about the love of God? And he said, well, I don't believe in God. And I said to him, sir, why is that so? He said, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a Catholic school, and I don't believe there is a God. There is no evidence for him. And as he stood there and told me plainly, there is no evidence for God. And I, I, I replied this very uh, next sentence to him. I said, bro, I have evidence. Do you have five minutes? His eyes lit up and he said, what, you have something to share with me that I have never heard before? I said, give me five minutes and we'll see. 
So I began to give him an analogy, and in that very moment, it wasn't something that I planned or something that I, that I uh, plotted up. It was a moment where God inspired me to give an illustration. I picked up my phone, and I put it on the ground, and I said, bro, if I said this very next to you, what would you say? And he said, what, what, is, what is it that you want to say? I said, imagine we're in the Amazon jungle. And as we're walking in the Amazon jungle in untouched territory, we find this iPhone device in this particular jungle. We pick it up and we see that it's an intelligent device. It has, it has uh, the ability to, to do so many things as an iPhone does. And if I said to you, sir, this iPhone came in this jungle as a result of millions of years of the different particles and the different parts of the phone, they took millions of years to come together and to create this intelligent piece of device that you see. I said to him, if I told you that, what would you say to me? He said, I would say that was ludicrous. He said, that was, I said, that would be unbelievable. That would be rubbish. That would be nonsense. And I said to him, I'm not here to test your intelligence, but I want to tell you one thing. You're my evidence that God exists. And he said, what do you mean by that? I said, if you refuse to believe that a phone that human beings have made is impossible to exist over millions of years, parts coming together, how dare you believe that your human body existed as a result of millions of years of the, evol uh, the evolving stages of the human species? I said, how can you believe something as complex as the human body was not simply just came about and was not created. And at that moment, his mouth dropped and he said, I have never seen it or heard it like that. And I said to this young man, look, I want you to go and I want you to remember what I told you. There is a creator God who created you. The fact that we see intelligence in the human species shows that there is an intelligent being that has created us. And Paul here, he's mentioning to them, it is the God that created the heavens. It is that very God that created everything that you see around you. He is the one that made this possible. And he has nothing to do with us because we are human beings just as you are. Paul acknowledges, going back to our Corinthian passage, Paul acknowledges his humanity, but he goes on to say that he doesn't fight according to the flesh. What Paul, what kind of fight is Paul talking about? Remember, Paul, from chapters 10 to chapter 13, he's addressing his critics. He's addressing those who are spreading lies about him. He's addressing those who are calling him all sorts of names and trying to discredit his ministry. These false apostles were bringing false teaching that deceived the people of God to turn away from Christ. Paul was even faced with strong opposition in every city that he went in. Our in one part in Acts, when you read it, he went to a particular town and he preached with them with boldness, with authority about Jesus that he, that he raised to life and he's no longer dead, but he's alive and he's the one that can only have salvation. And when the people heard that, they were so enraged, they were so angry, the Bible says they beat him up until they presumed or they assumed that he was dead. So they left him for dead. When he began to be lifeless and not moving, they left him for dead, thinking that he's passed away. But the Bible says that God raised him again. He was not dead. But these are the kinds of opposition that Paul faced from city to city. These false apostles and teachers, they didn't care about people, as I said to you before. They used deception, they used manipulation and trickery to win people over to follow them. And Paul here is saying, I know that I'm in a fight against these people, and I know I'm in a fight for your soul. And even the Christian life in itself is a fight. But Paul knew that the opposition that he faced from all these people was one that is beyond the natural and demonic. Paul understood that he is in a fight. I wonder today, as I begin in my first point, I wonder today if you have the awareness, as we talked about the wokeness, if you have the awareness that you are in a spiritual warfare. If you know that right now, as we sit in this room, there is another realm that is, na that is naked, 
that is not visible, sorry, to, to, the, to the human eye. There is a war raging, that there is principalities that are waging war, and the agenda of Satan is for you to not see the creator God, and the agenda of Satan is to kill, steal, and destroy from us what God wants to give. Paul understood that he was in a warfare. Paul understood that his fight, that in this fight that he's fighting, he doesn't use the weapons that his opponents are using because his opponents did not know God. His opponents did not have the life of God in them and therefore relied on human weaponry. They relied on deception. They relied on gossip. They relied on backstabbing. They relied on deception. They relied on manipulation. And Paul is saying, I'm human like they are, but I'm not going to wage war as they wage war. I'm not going to rely on the tactics that they rely on. But he has access to weaponry that his opponents know nothing about. I want you to know this afternoon that we are also in a fight. Living for God in this world is a fight, my friends. As long as we are here, we are engaged in warfare. This is not a game. This is not a drill. This is the real thing. Your life is at stake and we are all in this thing called life fighting. You know, in the Revelation one of the songs that we sing, I love from Elevation Church, is that I know how the story ends. And we have a Bible that tells us how the story ends when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ returns. There is an end when there will be no more fighting, when there will be no more sickness, when there will be no more sin, no more deception when we are living forever with our Heavenly Father and our Creator God. But until, while we're on this earth, Every, day, every single day is a fight. Every single day is a warfare, is a battle. And I'll talk to you in my next point about what kind of battle that we are in. I want to suggest and I want to mention as I began today that our fight is not against the government. Our fight is not against the police. Our fight is not against one another. That's the worldly way of seeing it, that we need to dismantle the police. The problem is with the police. We need to dismantle government systems. We need to dismantle certain kind of things. No, our fight is not against these institutions. Our fight is not against those things. And I want to also help you to understand today that our weapons are also not the same as the weapons of the world. Paul is using military language to describe the warfare that he fought. My second point is that the warfare is really in the mind. That is the warfare that every single one of us are fighting. The warfare is really in the mind. If you can go with me quickly, Rodas, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. So let's go back to verse 5 and let's read what he said. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is the essence of the Christian fight. The battle rages in the mind. Paul and the apostles, they labored intensely to see the truth about the gospel, the truth about God being preached in a sea of lies. The battle has been to destroy the arguments of high-sounding opinions that are raised up against the knowledge of God and His Word. The battle, my friends, is against thoughts, ideas, reasonings, philosophies, and false religions that hold people enslaved and against the Creator God. You see, Paul, Paul's concern was for the some in the Corinthian church who have been deceived by the enticing ideas of these false apostles He's concerned that their hearts were being led astray from Jesus. Let's go to the next chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 to 4, and quickly read it. He said this, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning or his craftiness, that your thoughts, listen to this, that your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accepted a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Paul's concern was this, that these 
false apostles, these false teachers were infiltrating the church and they were leading people's thinking. They were leading the thoughts of the people from their pure devotion to God, from trusting in the Lord to trusting in human wisdom. This was the first ever battle that humans engaged in. Before evil came into this world and filled the earth, the first battle was Satan bringing an argument against what God has said. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field and that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, listen to this, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree, of any tree in the garden? You see, the challenge of Satan from the very first uh, human beings, the challenge to humanity was for us to distrust, for us to not, uh, uh, not trust the, the knowledge that God had. Remember the, the instruction of God that if you eat of this tree, you will surely die, and he challenges that. Verse 4, Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. He not only made her question the valid, uh, the, valid, the valid point that God had made, but he also went on to make her, sorry, he, he also went on to be completely against what God had said. He said the very opposite, and the thing that Satan was offering was enticing. It was attractive. It was palatable. It seemed like a, like, a, like a philosophical idea. It seemed like a, like a woke, wokeness, like I talked about last week. It seemed like a great idea. Hey, I can be like God. I can, I can be someone that I will never be. They believed and they ate the very things that Satan was presenting. That was Satan's tactic from the very beginning, to make an argument against what God has said and to present an opposing idea. He didn't want human beings who were God's creation to believe him. And, he, and he's the same old devil today, using false wisdom, using sophisticated arguments to deceive the masses. Paul was not going to use carnal methods to win over the few who are believing these false apostles. Paul was going to use God's method, which we'll look at in the last point that I will shortly make. This is what I want us to be aware of this afternoon, that we are fighting with thoughts and ideas in this life that come against God's word. Methods and wisdom that elevate themselves above God's revealed wisdom, the word of God. I want us to be aware that we are against the thinking that we know more, this is the warfare, that we know more than the creator, that our worldview is more sophisticated, is more advanced than the biblical worldview. Isn't this the progressive culture that we're living in? Isn't this what they, what they present to us? Oh, you do not believe in, I mean, you still are believing in this old thing. The Bible is not progressive. I mean, you're believing an old idea. You have to keep up with the times. You see, you can have sex with whoever you want to have sex with. Sex is defined by our own feelings and our own attractions. We, de we have deviated from the word of God. And that is what culture is presenting. That is what the modern day culture is presenting. It's the same thing that Satan presented in the very beginning. There is nothing new under the heaven. The onslaught, the attack has always been against the truth of God's word. This is not hard to see in our world today, my friends. The most educated people hold to the atheistic worldview that there is no God. There are many scientists who hold to the view that there is no creator God and that we came out of nothing. There are so many religious ideologies that deny the creator God. This is not hard to see. That what Paul is teaching us, how we do warfare, what Paul is teaching us, what we have to fight against is still the same fight that we're waging on today. This fine-sounding, sophisticated reasoning things reasoning sorry that seem to shun the word of God that say that God doesn't really know what he's talking about 
God is not up with the times. He's not progressive like we have become progressive. So what we're saying, in essence, that we know better than God, that we know better than our Creator. What we're saying is that our way, that our worldview, that our way of interpreting the, the reality that we're living in is the supreme way. That there is no God. But my Bible tells me that the fool says in his heart that there is no God. What the world says, that the most intellectual, the most advanced, the most smartest people on our earth that are, that, are, that are boasting that God is not real, that we can disprove God. People like Richard Dawkins, these very people, my Bible says about them that they're foolish to deny the very creator that brought them into this world. We are fighting against human wisdom that claims to know better than God's wisdom. We need to remember something here. Because you might be sitting here and you're like, oh, yo, yo, I'm a Christian. I don't have that problem. I believe God's word. Do you? Because when we believe God's word, we submit to his word. Because when we believe the wisdom of God's word, we say, God, when, when, when a conflicting idea comes, when a conflicting lifestyle comes, when we're living in a certain direction that God is against, we say, God, I trust your wisdom more than I trust my wisdom. And God, I, I know it's hard for me right now, but I surrender my wisdom to your wisdom. And I view reality not in the way I want it to be like. I view my life not in the way that I want it to seem like, but I view it in according to the lens of your word. Your word that is true, your word that is clear. We need to remember, my friends, that Paul is speaking to carnal thinking Christians here. He's, he's speaking of Christians who have deviated from their devotion to Jesus. He's speaking to Christians who have rejected the, the word of God and who have followed their own philosophies and ideas. He was speaking to those who have allowed the arguments against God's mind and methods be a stronghold in their mind. And to ask Christians today who have deviated from God's truth and believed the world's wisdom. He's speaking, Paul, to us who believed human wisdom above God's word to direct our lives. He, Paul is speaking to us who have used the methods of the world to get promoted in our work through lies, deception, and backstabbing instead of God's method of work, of working hard and with integrity, whether the boss is watching or not. Paul is speaking to us who have used the world's wisdom in, our, in, uh, in what our sexuality is instead of trusting God's wisdom regarding our sexuality. Paul is speaking to us, my friends, who have today deviated from the wisdom of God and have relied on the world's wisdom. My last point, and I finish on this point, is that Paul reminds us in our text today that we have been given power to dismantle strongholds. Paul speaks of overcoming the battle by using divine weapons that can destroy strongholds. Now the word, the word stronghold here, it means a fortress. It means a castle. It's a formidable force that is very strong. And Paul is saying there are strongholds in our minds that God has given us ability to subdue them and overcome them. Paul is reminding us that our weapons are not carnal, but they're spiritual. There are ideas that oppose God in our life that are deeply rooted. There are mindsets that we have that we need to dismantle today. This is what we need to dismantle. There are ideas and mindsets that we need to take down and tear apart today. We need to trust again, my friends, in the word of God. We need to trust again, my friends, in the methods of God. Yes, I know the world laughs at them. Yes, I know the world calls it foolishness. Yes, I know the world says that we're weak, but I trust in the method of God. 
Yes, the world will laugh at you. Yes, the world will call you boring. Yes, the world will say that you are you're, you're all of these things that they throw at you. But I want to encourage you, young man. I want to encourage you, young lady, and anyone else in this room, that God's word is true. Stand your ground. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul speaks of the battle that we are, we are in in a greater detail. Let's quickly read it. Verse 10 to 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Do you understand, my friends, that the devil is always scheming against you? It's not because you're special. He only wants one thing from you. He wants your devotion to Christ to be deviated away from him. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's the world. The world tells us that our enemy is our brother. Our enemy is our sister. Our enemy is the person that is opposite color to us. That's what the world tells us, don't they? The world tells us that our enemy is the person that is of another ethnicity. And we need to go after them. But Paul is saying here, my fight is not against flesh and blood. I pray that the wisdom that God is giving us here will, will grab your heart. Your enemy is not the person next to you. Your enemy is not the person in your family. Your enemy is not the co-worker that is backstabbing you. Your enemy is the one behind that, that they have accepted the ideology and the philosophy from. And we need to do warfare today. I'm going to show you at the weapons he gives us and how we fight the good fight. Too many Christians living worldly in this very hour. But today, I believe you're going to see from your own life, you're going to see, God, there are things that I need to dismantle, and it's not external from me, it's internal. What I need to tear down and tear apart is not my sister, is not my brother. It is the thing, it is the mindset that is inside of me. And God, I want to begin the year by tearing down these strongholds that have rooted deep down in my heart. Some of you, they've taken stronghold because of what has been done to you. Some of you, those strongholds are there because of something, a habit that you've been consistently bound by. But I want to tell you that the devil is a liar, that there is a way out. There is a way of escape. Paul says to the Ephesian church, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Let me encourage you, person who's working in government, if you're working in government in this room, let me encourage you. The way to bring about change in the government is not by advocacy, it's by prayer. You have to understand that there is demonic, there's demonic ideas behind, behind systems. And you can't walk into the parliament house, you can't walk into the courtroom and say, I want to prove my case. No, you need the power of the living God. If we want to see the work of God advance in Australia, if we want to see darkness being pushed and the kingdom advancing, we need to do warfare. But we've, left our, we've let our guards down, my friends. We're not fighting for our friends. We're not fighting for those who are being deviated for, uh, by the enemy. He went on to say this quickly. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day of evil and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened with the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and on your shoes the... Uh, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up your shield of faith, with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Whoa. Paul lists a bunch of armor that are spiritual, that are contrary to the weapons of the world. Paul speaks here of the belt of truth as an armor. 
This is contrary to what Satan does and is. Jesus said he is the father of lies and he's been lying from the beginning. He lied to Adam and Eve and he's still lying today. But God is encouraging us today. If we're going to fight this good fight, we need to put on truth as our, as our God, as one of our weapons. In other words, don't live with lies. Don't live with manipulation. We are children of the light and we are children of the truth. The Bible says that the truth will set us free and free indeed. So we fight the enemy with truth. We live by the truth. We speak truth. We stand for the truth. The breastplate of righteousness. We fight this Christian life by knowing that we're righteous. When the enemy is quick to accuse us, when the enemy quickly whispers in our ear, you can't go to church today. Remember what you did last night? We say, get behind me, Satan. Today is a new day. God's mercy and grace is new for me today. And if I repent and humble myself, God will give me a fresh start today. He said, put on the gospel of peace as our shoes in other words, we don't use trickery. I don't need to use trickery and deception here to make you believe anything. That will not last. I'm not going to use coffee and, 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 and uh, some kind of enticement for you to come into this building. That's extra added on things. I'm not going to use worldly methods to attract people to come here. No, Paul is saying just preach the gospel. The gospel is powerful enough. We don't lure people to believe in Jesus, but we, we plainly share the good news of what Jesus did and who he is, and the gospel is the power of God. And Paul said, put on the shield of faith. In other words, we trust in God even when our friends reject him. Come on. We trust in God even when so-called men of God have publicly denied him. Because my trust in God is not dependent on your walk with God. My trust in God is dependent on what he has done in my life and the revelation that I've had of who he is and, what, and who I am. We trust in God even when it's painful. Hebrews 11, my last passage that I'll read for you today is Hebrews 11, verse 32 to 35. Follow along with me in this. Look, listen to what Paul came to conclusion in. He said, what shall I say? For time would, not, would fail me to tell you of Gideon, of Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, what did they do through faith? What did they do through believing in what God said rather than what the circumstances said? What did these people achieve by believing in what God has instructed them rather than what the enemies were taunting them in? This is what they did. Who through faith conquered kingdoms enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back, from the, uh, from, uh, back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they may be raised again to a better life. Did you hear that? Do you, do you know what the writer of Hebrews is telling us? Let's learn from these men and women of God who dared to believe in what God said rather than the enticement that was around them. These are people like Joshua. You can stand to your feet as I finish up. These are like people like Joshua. All right, God, there's an army before me and they're very mighty. What do I do? I'm just paraphrasing it. The worldly method will be take arms, go and kill, and take your plunder. But you know what God's method was? All right, take the priest. You're going to be worshiping. You march around the fortress. You march around the castle. You march around those stones that were built that nothing can get through and you march around it for seven days praising me and on the seventh day I want you to shout and the walls will come crumbling down. I mean, are you kidding me? The ways of God are foolishness to man. God, 
There is this sea before me and the Egyptians are behind me. Moses stands in an obstacle and he inquires of God because Moses had this courage, this confidence to know that I live by faith and not by sight. That I trust that my God will make a way rather than me being, being overcome by what is around me. And God says to him, all right, Moses, you're going to raise your staff and you're going to lift it towards the sea and I'll split the sea open and I'll make a way. Uh? My Bible here tells me that they believed in God's methods. These people believed in what God had said. The writer went on to say, the helmet of salvation. We need to pray for the salvation of our friends, for the salvation of our family, for the salvation of our city. He went on to say, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We stand on God's word, no matter what the scientist says about God being dead. We stand of the timeless truths of his word, to live our lives. God's word is not outdated. God's word is not old school. God's word remained when people died. When philosophers passed away, his word continued. God's word remains. This is how we fight. We say, God, I will trust your method of how I can be a loving husband to my wife and a loving father to my children. That's how I personalize it right now. Say, God, I'll trust your word for my career. I'll trust your word for the relationships around me. And I'll dictate my life according to your word, even if it's unpopular, even if it seems foolishness. I will trust you. And then he said, prayer. We fight by praying for our enemies. We fight by praying for our nation and our leaders. We fight by trusting that God hears us. That's how we bring about change. As you close your eyes, I want you to ponder on the very next things that I'll say to you today as we finish. What are the strongholds in your mind? What are the ideas that you've believed that are contrary to the truth of God's word? What are the things that have built fortresses inside of you that are deeply rooted and you're saying, I will not move from this. It is impossible for me to get out of this. Today, I want to tell you that God has empowered you to dismantle every thought, every ideology, every idea that comes against the knowledge of God. You've been given authority. Paul is reminding us that is how I fight my battle. That is how I fight this this thing called Christian life. I will not use the same weapons that my enemies are using. I will not use the same tricks that they are doing on me, but I have weapons that, that they know nothing about and I fight by faith. I pray for them. God, I rely on your methods. I rely on praying for them, God. I rely, God, on preaching your word, on speaking the truth, God. I will not use manipulation. I will not conform to the patterns of this world, but I want to be transformed by the renewing of your word. If that's you today, I just want you to speak to him right now. I want you to stretch your hand toward heaven and say, God, I want you to dismantle these thoughts that I have believed that go against your truth. God, remove it from my life. God, remove it from my mind. I want to enter every single day knowing that I can live by your word, that I can trust you. If you want to see the vision and the plan of God come about in your life, this is the key. Don't wait for it when a thought comes, when a belief system comes that is deviating away from the truth, don't entertain it. Don't have conversations with it. Subdue it. That's what Jesus said, didn't he? When Peter whispered, you will not die, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. I align myself with what God says. I take up my cross and I will drink the cup that my father has given me. 
you come from a human wisdom. Get behind me, Satan. That is the, the spirit that I want us to have. To get behind me. Get behind me. Devil, you're a liar. You've been lying from the beginning. And your tactic was for me to distrust in God's word. For some of you, you have not picked up the word of God in a year. You haven't seen the word of God in one year. And the enemy has crept in. And he's sown seeds of deceit. Make a decision today, my friend. To say, God, take me back to your word. Take me back to your truth. I want to govern how I think. I want to govern how I feel. I want to govern how I, how I treat the people around me by your word. I don't want to use the, the, the weaponry of the world. I don't want to use the ways and the schemes and the methods of the world. But I want to I trust your method, God. Even when it seems like it's painful. Even when it doesn't make sense, God. I want to trust your method for my life. Come on, is there anyone that is hungry for God? To have a touch from heaven in this place. Say, God, I, I, I'm not going to leave this room. There's a prayer in the Bible. He said, I'm not going to let you go, God, until you bless me. That was Jacob. He said, I will not leave you until you bless me. He wrestled with God. I will not leave you, God, and will not leave this place until you bless me. Why don't you have a conversation with your creator, God, right now and say to him, God, Take it, remove it, dismantle, dismantle erroneous belief systems in my mind. Yes, dismantle a God, the ideologies that are in my mind. I've accepted the world system, God. I'm chasing after fame. I'm chasing after money. I'm chasing after these things. I have allowed the deceit of the enemy to creep my, into my mind and deviate me from my devotion to Jesus. But God, today I surrender. Come on, this is what we need to dismantle. This is what we need to dismantle today. Ideologies that have been built up in our minds. The popular, the popular teaching of our world, the popular ideas of our world, this is what we need to dismantle. Your enemy is inside your head. That's where the warfare is at, my friend. Why don't we do warfare for the next minute or two and say, God, come on. God, I want you to just remove this from me. I want you to break this stronghold in my mind. I want you to remove it. I want you to break it, God. Even in the areas that I've become stubborn in, God. Even in the areas I've not allowed you in, God. Dismantle it today. Is that the cry of your heart, my friend? Is that the prayer of your heart today, my friend? It was not an accident that you walked into this room today. But God wants to speak to you today. He wants to tear down tear down the walls that have been built up inside of your mind. He wants to remove it today. Allow him. Allow him. I want to encourage you one more thing. You know, every day, as we live in this world, you have opposition, you open up your phone, and you're bombarded with the world's ideology, with the world's ideas of what's, what's in and what's out, what's famous and what's not, what's the trend and what's not. We're just bombarded with that. And little did we, do we know that it's forming an opinion in our mind. It's forming a worldview. But I want you to make a commitment today, if you want, with you and between you and God, not to me, between you and God. Just make a commitment to spend time in the presence of God on a regular basis. Just in his word, just open up this book. Say, God, what do you say about my life? The word of God is a mirror, my friend. Just say, God, what do you say about my, my way of thinking? What do you say about my sexuality? God, what do you say? about how I treat others. God, what do you say about my finances? God, what do you say? What do you say in this book? Because your word is true. And when I believe your truth, I will live in freedom. And every day, that's the battle. As a pastor, as a minister, that's the, that's the battle 
I fight every day to reject the world's ideologies and to remain standing in God's word. Sometimes it's hard, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes the easy way out is to follow the, the because it's palatable, it's attractive, it's enticing. But when you remain faithful to God's word, in due time, you will see the breakthrough in your life. You will see the breakthrough in your city. Church, if we want to see Jesus be seen in this city, we need to fight. Amen? We need to get on our knees and pray. We need to, we need to cry out to God. His methods have never changed. It's always been the same. There is no new modern way of praying. Amen? Can we collectively pray and finish? God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we get this moment in your presence to hear from you. God, we hear from the world on a daily basis. We hear it in our workplace. We hear it on our television. We hear it through our phone. But we cherish these moments that we get to hear your word, your truth. May your word not simply be a word today. May it not just go in our ear and come out the other ear. But I pray that it produces fruit in the hearts of people in this room. I pray that this word, Lord, challenges every single one of us to get before you, to dismantle things in our life. God, there are demonic strongholds that need to be dismantled. Some of you is low self-esteem. Some of you, you've believed the lies of the enemy that you're insignificant, that you're a nobody, that no one cares about you, that you are to end your life. Some of you are dealing with strongholds that are suicidal and God wants to dismantle that from your mind. Some of you, you've lost hope in things that you've been believing God for and the enemy is whispering his lies. God is done with you. You have, there's nothing else that God has for you. That devil is a liar. That would dismantle that in the name of Jesus. For some of you, you're dealing with habits that are constantly bound you over the years. And you're saying, there is no hope for me. There is no way that I'll be liberated from this. I will always have this problem. And we've developed a mindset that leaves no room for God's truth to overtake that mindset. But today we dismantle that idea in the name of Jesus. We dismantle it in the name of Jesus. The Bible says there was this woman who had an issue of blood and she spent all the money that she had on doctors, but she didn't have the mentality that said, there is no hope for me. One day she heard about a man named Jesus and she reached out in faith. When she believed, her breakthrough came. Whatever circumstances you are in right now, for some of you, people have spoken so much, so much lies in your life. It could be through your family. It could be through your friends around you that you've believed these lies. God wants to dismantle it today. God wants to dismantle it today. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing in this room. Spirit of God, we thank you. We thank you for your work in the heart and mind of every single one of us. And as we enter this year, we want to enter with the right mindset, knowing that you want to deal with us, God. You want to remove the junk in our, in our mind. And God, I pray that you will liberate us from the strongholds that have taken root in our life. We love you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Bless the week before us, ahead of us, God. And the rest of this day, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen.